Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to Radio Parallax. We have some great guests on today's program, and let me mention them before I forget. Dr. Cyril Wecht will be joining us in our second segment. Dr. Wecht is the director of the Wecht Institute at Duquesne University and is one of the most prominent pathologists in the United States. You've probably seen him on CNN or 2020. He uh, is a, uh, a very good speaker, and we look forward to talking to him about this election and a lot of other things in the second segment. Also joining us will be astronomer Trina Ray from Pasadena's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, who in our third segment will talk about some of the exciting developments of the Cassini mission. We'll also be joined later in this segment by local activist Michael Feliciano. I thought we would start out with a look back at Joe Garden, who joined us last week from The Onion, a new weekly newspaper, with a couple of items from my Onion calendar. The first one is dot-commers to receive unemployment benefits in form of stock options. <laughs> And uh, the Monday, November 8th calendar item, Phalanx of Lawyers Stares Hungrily from Back Cover of Phone Book. And if you've seen any of your phone books lately, chances are you'll see that Phalanx. We need to clean up, uh, clean up behind last week's uh, election. Of course, it's all over the web. It's all over the newspapers. Uh, the, what direction will the Bush administration take? I think that's quite clear. We'll, we'll, we'll go through some of those in a few minutes. But uh, who better to go to when we're going to go through that than um, uh, to Tom Burka, our favorite blogger, for his comments on this, which were as follows. White House claims mandate by whole half of nation. The White House claimed yesterday that President Bush had won a mandate in the election on Tuesday. Our overwhelming support by only half of a bitterly divided nation means that we've been given a fiat to implement the agenda a record number of voters disagreed with said White House spokesman Scott McClellan. McClellan acknowledged that in the 2000 election, the Bush administration had not received a mandate. That's why the agenda we pursued in the past four years was so mild, he said. McClellan explained that in the next four years, the president was considering implementing policies he would never have dreamed of pursuing. For one thing, we're toying with making people in blue states carry red state people around in rickshaws, he said. Additionally, because the will of the people requires it, members of the White House Press Gallery will heretofore be required to recite an oath of fealty to George W. Bush before entering the briefing room. And there will be no more questions from reporters. Questions are for administrations that have to answer them, he said. That's the way democracy works. Having a 3% edge over the almost 56 million voters who disagree with our policies means that we can do whatever we like. I'm looking at MSNBC list of Bush, uh, Bush goals. Upholding our deepest values and family and faith. I think the translation for that is, Karl Rove is going to ramrod a constitutional amendment against gay marriage down our throats. Uh, well, actually, yeah, that was actually a separate issue, delineated quite clearly, seeking a constitutional ban on gay marriage. 
having the record $413 billion deficit. Uh, let's see. Moving this good-hearted nation toward a culture of life. Translation, we're going to throw out Roe versus Wade the next time we get to point somebody to the Supreme Court. I don't know. I noticed an item from the Week magazine in the boring from dep- but important category. Projecting ahead, the U.S. government will have to borrow a record $147 billion in the first three months of 2005 to cover the ballooning deficit. Good luck with cutting it in half. Boy, I think back to that uh, Robert Reich uh, article, that uh, essay he wrote, if you think the first term is bad, uh, looking forward to what was going to happen. He closed off with noting that the Federal Communications Commission will allow three or four media empires, all connected to the Republican Party, to consolidate their ownership over all television and radio broadcasting. Well, I guess that means that the the public affairs lineup here at KDVS is going to be more important than ever in the next few years, unfortunately. I don't know if we mentioned it before the election, but somewhat to the shock of the business community of the world, The Economist magazine endorsed John Kerry. They called the choice one between the incompetent or the incoherent, but decided that Kerry was uh, was a far better choice. And after the election, their cover has uh, George Bush smiling on the front saying, now unite us. Of course, as you know, The Economist is a British magazine and Great Britain is part of Europe. Yeah, I think The Economist and, and most Europeans have not felt very united with the United States, and so they're asking us, uh, all right, Let's see what you can do to bring us together. One little item from USA Today from last week I think we might want to take a look at. Corporations paid 35.4% of the federal tax levy in 1945. Thanks to decades of lobbying and tax breaks, corporations now pay 7.4%. That's right, from 35% to 7%. Do you know who makes up the difference? That's right, you and I. And yes, yes, it's said that corporations, uh, you know, are like people, but you know what? They're better than people. People pay taxes. Also taking a look back at an email that was sent around a few months ago being sent around again about uh, Dr. W. David Hager heading up the Food and Drug Administration's Reproductive Health Drugs Advisory Committee. This is the committee, of course, that uh, decided it wasn't going to turn Plan B loose on the public as a non-prescription medication. It appears that Dr. Hager's religious beliefs uh, may be uh, influencing his decision-making. Hager's the author of As Jesus Cared for Women, Restoring Women Then and Now, a book which blends biblical accounts of Christ healing women with case studies from Hager's medical practice. His views of reproductive health care are somewhat outside the mainstream of, of, of uh, OBGYNs in this country. For instance, he wrote a book with his wife entitled Stress and the Woman's Body, in which he suggests that women who suffer from premenstrual syndrome should seek help from reading the Bible and praying. As an editor and contributing author of The Reproductive Revolution, a Christian appraisal of sexual reproductive techno- technologies and the family, Dr. Hager appears to have endorsed the medically inaccurate assertion that the common birth control pill is an abort-a-fashioned medicine. In the next four years, look forward to quite a few more Dr. W. David Hagers gaining positions of power. I don't want to get in the big soapbox about this, but I'd like to quote a man named Byron Bowling, who wrote a letter to the editor in the San Francisco Chronicle, which I would like to quote in its entirety. 
editor. It is almost as if Karl Rove had a secret operative whisper in Mayor Gavin Newsom's ear, Want to be world famous? Two words, Gavin. Gay marriage. Congratulations to Mayor Newsom. Great timing. He's the one person in America most responsible for the re-election of George W. Bush. Well, I, I wouldn't agree with that. The person most responsible is Karl Rove. But uh, we do have to hand it to the mayor for giving Karl Rove a club with which to beat John Kerry in all of those red states this election year. And we've, we've talked about this in this program before. Not you, I know a lot of you out there are very passionate about this issue. But I got to tell you, a constitutional ban is very likely because I'm really, in my own mind, hard-pressed to think of those, you know, one quarter of the states that's going, that are going to stop it from happening. You know, California, New York, Massachusetts, maybe. What are the other ones? So this has been, uh, this has been political suicide. I really wish that uh, advocates could have waited. And I would note also, I heard on NPR a few days ago, a reference to the fact that Tony Blair referred to the number one problem in the world today in terms of political instability as the Arab-Israeli conflict. Uh, George Bush, it was mentioned that after, after Blair had said that, someone asked George Bush, what do you think? And he said, well, I, I would think that that is an important issue to peace, falling far short of Blair's declaration that it was the most important issue to world peace. And um, that needs to be taken a look at. We are backing Ariel Sharon. We heard Richard C. Hodlett uh, on this program uh, slamming the Bush administration for doing that, for our uh, unabashed support of Ariel Sharon. I think that needs to be looked at in, in light of the fact that uh, Osama bin Laden, in that last tape that he released, said the following. After our patience ran out and we saw the injustice and inflexibility of the American-Israeli alliance toward our people in Palestine and Lebanon, this came to my mind, referring to the towers. The incidents that affected me directly go back to 1982 and afterward, when America allowed Israelis to invade Lebanon with the help of the American Sixth Fleet. In these tough moments, many things raged inside me. They resulted in a strong feeling against injustice and a strong determination to punish the unjust. Now, we are no fans of Osama bin Laden in this program, let's make that clear, but he was saying what shaped his thinking, and what shaped his thinking was what happened in Lebanon. What happened in Lebanon was a, an attack on a refugee camp that basically was orchestrated by Ariel Sharon, then General Ariel Sharon of the Israeli army, now President Ariel Sharon of the Republic that is Israel. Christina Borgeson was a guest in this program a couple of times. I would uh, unabashedly endorse the revised and expanded version of her book, Into the Buzzsaw, which won a National Press Club Award. Um, it is now out, and uh, she's been kind enough to send me a copy of it to review. I, I will be coming back to it in the future. But uh, it's got some very good stuff in it, most particularly... We're talking about the work of James Bamford, a man who's written a book called A Pretext for War, which explains how we had operations in the U.S. government to mislead other portions of the U.S. government and the public in our ramp up to war. This is no surprise to us. We told you on this show as it was going on. But um, they give you some details. They name some names, or at least Bamford will when, when his book comes out. They talk about how they've been, uh, they've been an alliance between the Bush administration hardliners, the neocons, and Ariel Sharon in Israel. There was a common interest in going to war in Iraq, and the two sides worked together closely to mislead you and I. 
We're going to get Christina back on the show again, and with any luck, we may be able to get James Banford himself to come on and talk about this very important subject. But the punchline of all this is that uh, the Arab-Israeli conflict, as Tony Blair points out, is central to the uh, issues of world peace. It's central to the issues of what's going on with the attacks in the United States by al-Qaeda. And by God, we need to work a little bit harder in seeing if we can't bring peace to that war-torn region. Something I learned from Into the Buzzsaw was that Don Evans, the outgoing Commerce Secretary, was George Bush's number one contributor over the years. I thought it was Ken Lay of Enron, but Enron may be the corporation that that gave George the most money, but apparently Don Evans was the individual. I don't know how much he gave, but I'll wager it was quite a bit. John Ashcroft is also leaving. He's been uh, titled uh, one of the most divisive people in the administration, but I really don't think he did anything that George Bush didn't want done. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's out of the frying pan and into the fire. Ashcroft has been criticized for his unabashed support of um, the Patriot Act. But the person who's going to replace him, White House counsel Alberto Gonzalez, has some drawbacks. Let me quote from an article by Robin Blumner, writing in the St. Petersburg Times last May. To excerpt, There's perhaps no figure who has his fingerprints on more short-sighted, backward, and counterproductive Bush administration policies than does White House counsel Alberto Gonzalez. He wrote a memorandum to George Bush on January 25, 2002, in which he said that the Geneva Conventions on Prisoners of War should not apply to al-Qaeda or Taliban prisoners. Gonzalez says the war on terrorism, quote, in my judgment, renders obsolete Geneva's strict limitations on questioning of enemy prisoners. This led directly to the Abu Ghraib prison scandals and uh, the black eye that America received in the court of public opinion uh, all around the world. This continues to go on and on. It isn't just uh, John Ashcroft that has something to do with detaining people in Guantanamo without legal counsel. Alberto Gonzalez thought this was a terrific idea. Now, of course, in Iraq, as prisoners are being taken and people are being murdered, it would seem that inserting more civility and, uh, and more, uh, more of the spirit of the Geneva Conventions into how prisoners are maintained would be a good thing. We are dealing with vicious, nasty people who kidnap and murder Westerners in Iraq. There's no two ways about that. But when we mistreat prisoners ourselves, all it does is add gasoline to the flames. And uh, if we're going to make some a few other comments or two about, about election 2004, let us not forget our own Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Governor Schwarzenegger worked very hard in the state of Ohio to give a boost to George Bush. John Kerry lost Ohio narrowly, and had he won, he'd be president on January 20th. So we should not uh, lose sight of this when we recall uh, what our governor has been up to. Noting also uh, the fact that he's finally come clean, Governor Schwarzenegger has, on his presidential aspirations. He was asked on 60 Minutes if he would want to run for president if a constitutional amendment were approved to make him eligible for the job. He responded, absolutely, adding, why not? Anyone with my way of thinking, you always shoot for the top. Senator Orrin Hatch, Utah Republican, has already proposed an amendment to allow anyone who has been a citizen for 20 years to run. Watch that development very closely. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger has his good qualities, but changing the United States Constitution, 
so that a bodybuilder who gained prominence initially by his massive abuse of anabolic steroids and marrying well into the Kennedy family may not be a good idea for this nation. Governor Schwarzenegger's political muscles were flexed on Election Day, and um, California voters agreed with him on 10 of the 14 measures he, he favored or opposed on the November 2nd ballot. They didn't back him, however, on lawmakers. Uh, he did not uh, manage to influence the legislature through his campaigning for various local races, so he's still going to be deal with majorities of the opposite party. By the way, California delivered well, over one million votes for John Kerry, a plurality over George Bush. All right, joining us now to show that not everyone is uh, giving up on what must be done the next four years is uh, local activist Michael Feliciano. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Michael. Hey, thanks for having me, Douglas. Now, you've been involved in all kinds of things that would sort of, I guess you'd say, be counter to the current administration in Washington. Yeah, yeah, you know, I've been involved with peace action here locally, been involved with the Green Party for several years, and, um, you know, just uh, really uh, saw a huge mobilization, you know, leading up to this election. We did, um, yeah. Been pretty much uh, dumbstruck, you know, by, by the results of last Tuesday's election. Yeah, I'm looking at a news and review that talked about an uh, article by Frank Milkart making votes count, showing Sacramentans going to try and help monitor elections and, and move people around Nevada. And I guess I guess you were aware of some of that. Several people that I know here in this town that that trucked on up to Nevada, swing state, you know, trying to mobilize people out there, remind them to vote, and uh, get them to vote for John Kerry. Um, you know, post-election, it's kind of interesting because on the heels of election results that we are probably not that happy with, the, the, the realization that either way we had our work cut out for us for the next four years. And so I think a lot of people that I'm talking to um, at least are just, okay, well, we're mobilized. We've got this, you know, we got more people than ever out to vote, um, you know, 49% to 51%. Let's just keep going. We, we knew we had to work anyway because, you know, Kerry versus Bush was, like I said, we, we still had our work cut out for us. We had pro-war, both pro-war presidents. So in your mind, it's not that different, the fact that you just have a little more work cut out for you. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the, the, the nice thing is that now there's this infrastructure in place. There's this new group in Sacramento called Sacramento for Democracy that was, you know, um, turning people out for, for different events and stuff prior to the election. And now there's monthly meetings happening that have been happening. Uh, there's one coming up December 1st. Uh, just to let your listeners yeah, know about that. Yeah, what will that, that be? What, what's that? It's, uh, well, it's just a monthly gathering okay. of Sacramento for Democracy. It's going to be at the Fox and Goose, like I said, December 1st, 7 p.m. And I don't know what day of the week that is, December 1st, but um, again, at the Fox and Goose. And just kind of probably this, this meeting is going to be a lot about taking stock, seeing you know who's turning up that's new, uh, how can we utilize the talent that we have, the energy that, that we have, and, and try to move forward for the next four years. Now, I, I noticed you've worked with people in, in, the mag- in the newspaper Because People Matter. You used to write for them. Uh, yeah, written, written pretty extensively for Because People Matter, doing a lot of stuff for, for news and review lately also. Good. Both, uh, of course, uh, Richard Estes of, of our public affairs lineup. He, he works with Because People Matter. We've we've had a lot of folks on ourselves from the News and Review, uh, two, two good organizations. Yeah. I noticed that the, one of the articles here on, 
on the whimsical title. Bush loses. Troops come home. Huge job program. Health care for all. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a great front page? It's right. Very optimistic front page, it, but also sarcastic, I guess. A little, a little too optimistic. But on page one, they talk about a parade ordinance still on the books in Sacramento that might be worth uh, people being aware of. I guess there, there was a, this very restrictive ordinance that was put into play when that uh, genetically modified food conference took place. Yeah, back with the USDA um, ministerial conference last summer, um, you know, just uh, a few days before that event, very hush-hush, the, the city council enacted that anti-parade ordinance, an anti-gathering ordinance, really, which permits them to remove people's signs if they're demonstrating peacefully, things like that. And um, that's certainly, the, there are a lot of people, Dan Bacher has been covering that really closely yeah. and, and, you know, really um, keeping us informed about that. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see what unfolds with that, because it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, still, it's still around. That's an issue we'd like to keep the attention of uh, of our listenership on. I, Having seen that conference and the kind of police presence for it, it was a little bit scary for a democracy. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, the, yeah. the black helicopters flying overhead for four or five days straight. It was really well, they weren't black, but there were two of them, and they were in orbit around downtown for four days. It was a right. bit weird. Yeah, the proverbial black helicopters, yeah. yeah. Well, Michael, uh, I hope you'll come back in the next few weeks and give us some updates on things that are going on locally, because I know that a lot of people are very discouraged and down in the mouth, and I think we have to uh, to not be. Yeah, yeah. D- thanks for uh, having me on, Douglas, and we'll keep you posted. There's a lot, a lot of actually, a lot of interesting things unfolding in the, in the uh, progressive scene, anti-war scene. We, we appreciate that very much. Have a great day. All righty. All right, I would like to refer you to yesterday's Sacramento Bee with the following article. Die-hard carrybackers push conspiracy theories. Article by Julia Malone, Cox News Service. In scattered websites and radio stations, they claim voter fraud and demand recounts. Well, I guess this is one of those radio stations. Well, I don't know. We're not demanding a recount, but, you know... I do dispute the headlines that say, this time, Bush's victory is undisputed. I I have grave doubts about this. I've seen some startling statistics. We're saving up this data for a discussion on next week's program. But I did note that, according, according to some sources, in Germany, they count the votes by hand. Civil servants count the votes by hand. It takes a little bit longer, but the Germans are positive of what the results are. And by the way, the German people know the election results the night the polls close because news media exit polls for two generations had never been more than a tenth of a percent off. Let that one sink in. Exit polls can be done, in other countries at least, that are only a tenth of a percent off. In this country on election day, exit polls showed that John Kerry was leading in Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico, Iowa, Ohio, and Florida, all of which, when the votes were counted by electronic machines, in no small part, went to Bush. We've talked to some sources uh, that we have out there. People are not willing to go on the record in some cases. It's A lot of this is rumor. A lot of this, truly, at this point, is rumor. We need more data. We will try and gather some and discuss this more fully on next week's program. We've had a lot of distinguished guests on this program, but uh, perhaps none as distinguished as the man who will be joining us in our next segment to follow, Dr. Cyril Wecht, one of the most prominent forensic pathologists in the world. He always has some interesting things to say, and I promise you that he will in a few minutes. So stick around. You're listening to 
Radio Parallax, this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. And I'm your host, Douglas Everett.